and welcome to another episode of that 60s recording podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. I hope you've all had a lovely Christmas time. Um, I was going to say the Paul McCartney joke again then and I bailed on it as I was saying it. Um, I have a gig on Boxing Day, which I'm not quite sure why I agreed to do, um, but anyway... Um, that's that. So I'm, I'm recording this before Christmas, but hopefully when you're all listening to this, you've had a lovely Christmas and you're all full of uh, beer and wine and mince pies and uh, whatever you have for your Christmas dinner. <laughs> okay, so I'm back here with the second episode of the Clem Catini uh, conversation, which a lot of you have been in touch with to say that you're really enjoying. Um, Clem is just an absolutely lovely chap. Um, and uh, there seems to be an awful lot of love for him out there. So yes, hope you're enjoying this conversation and we'll just get straight into it. Here we go, Clem Catini. How many? Uh, so, we, what were you doing? Three, four sessions a day? You know, would you? Oh, what was your sort of routine? Did you head down for sort of ten o'clock in the morning and just sort of hang oh, around? God, and... yeah. I think my record was twenty-one sessions in a week. Wow! Because we were doing like ten till ten every day, which is uh, twenty-one, uh, uh, and that was more than that. And I, I was doing more. It's actually, it's more than that because I also did a couple of midnight ones as well, <laughs> sort of ten, midnight till two o'clock in the morning ones. Wow. Yeah. And we got bound, but it was too much. It was silly. I started, you know, I was killing myself. Were there kits in the studios? Or were no, you... no, no, my own kits. So were my you Ludwig. driving in, um, you were, you know, driving in in the morning with a kit and doing, yep. you know, setting up, diff- you know, setting your kit yep. up for every single session and taking it back down again? Yep. Yeah, lugging it upstairs. And there was a place in Rhyme where I did the basically roller stuff. It was three flights of stairs. <laughs> Honestly, you'd have, been, you'd have been fit at the time. <laughs> like, oh, God. I mean, eventually, when it got started again, well, it's, it, it, the, the scene that you couldn't park, you couldn't find anywhere to park, you couldn't stop there. So then I, I got myself a roadie. So I used to pay him his full portage and, and he'd set my kit up for me, So it would, which wasn't so bad. But yeah. now I used to take it myself. I mean, I remember most of the time parking in Bond Street outside, outside the studio, leaving it there, you know, until <laughs> they suddenly brought the meters in. Yeah. yeah yeah um so then who who else was around that time i mean i know I'm, i know that you know there's a uh, john paul jones was around do, doing sessions yeah. in the 60s jimmy yeah. page and bobby graham and i know ron ryan yeah. was there and you yes. know, what, what was the sort of scene and between everybody like and you know what kind, who was on the sessions that you worked on or was there regular players that you worked with yeah i mean you you found you actually ended up on a, Playing with most of the guys anyway, you know, it was like Alan Parker on guitar, uh, yeah, Jimmy Page on guitar, Jim Sullivan, Vic Flick, uh, yeah. people like that, uh, Richie Tattersall, and they were regular guys. It was like a little family, you know. You you put your head around the corner, see who's in the studio, and see the guys there, you know, the faces that you know, and enjoy working with. It was great. It, it was like a little family. That's what I miss is is that camaraderie that we had then, you know. Because we used to help you know, and uh, the keyboard players, you know, um, I mean, I did a session where um, David Bowie played keyboards on it. <laughs> wow. 
But they eventually took him off because it wasn't good enough to put somebody else on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd that. <laughs> but I mean, John Paul Jones, I mean, I was with, I was with John Paul Jones. We were in the Lulu band together. We were yes. Lulu's backing band. Because he used to travel with me because he never drove. You know. and, so, uh, and also, he, he did a lot of the arrangements. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't realize that. That's really cool. Yeah. What, um, you, oh, just, Sorry. You were still touring. You, you kind of, so you did, you did, were still interested in touring. You weren't just sort of hunkering down doing only sessions. You went, you know, you were said, mentioned you went out with Billy Fury and you were playing in Lulu's band and you still yeah. enjoyed touring. Well, what happened when I started doing sessions full time, if you know what I mean, I didn't do a live gig for, a, for about a year, okay. 18 months, which was a mistake. Because, you know, it's the live stuff where you learn and you, you improve yourself as a player. Mm-hmm. You know, if you make a mistake, who cares? It don't matter, you know. It's gone. But when you're on a session and you've got a 30-piece orchestra and you cock up something and they'll look at you and <laughs> you go, whoops, and you've got to do another take, which they don't like, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's which is the, so I went I went on the road with Lulu, you know, with, with John Paul Jones. Well, the, uh, the, the band that... Um, Oh, and I did the talk of the town with Lulu. It was uh, Alan Parker on guitar, uh, Nick Hopkins on on piano, uh, John Paul Jones on bass, and me, myself on drums. You know, so it was quite a star-studded then, the star-studded band, apart from me, of course, when John Paul Jones became famous. But you know, yeah, and I'm what a musician! Say. What a musician! Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, they're they're all. Uh... It is a star-studded band from now. <laughs> I wouldn't put yourself yeah. down. It's, it's, I mean, not compared to those guys, you know. To be honest, no, not. I'm sorry because I can walk down the street and nobody gives like a monkey's rule. You know, <laughs> she's nice, you know. Did were you listening to um, the sort of the radio much at that point? Were you? Did you? Did it? Did you sort of? No, I'm yeah. trying to find the right words. Did you care that? Were you interested in the fact that songs you were playing on were were on the radio, or was that just sort of, you know, it was just sort of that was happening and it didn't matter too much? Uh, no, no, I, I suppose no, I didn't. I didn't really go out my way to listen to the radio. You know, let's put it that way. A lot of the times I didn't like listening to stuff that I played on anyway, because mm-hmm. I was I was saying, what the hell did I do that for? Why didn't I do this? You know, why the, well, you know, you, you know, it started as, as a player. You yeah. would sometimes get too self-critical. So, I mean, there's, there's certain stuff that I did that I listen to now and think, yeah, I didn't do a bad job, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, but then I didn't really go. I mean, to be honest, I never had time to listen to the radio. I was playing it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, so what was, in, in terms of that kind of stuff, so, you know, being a having to do things differently or whatever. I mean, the, the sessions will have been quite quick uh, relative to, to sort of nowadays. What was oh, the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, that's something I particularly like about that era. And I'd, I'd love to know kind of your thoughts on it, on, you know, just sort of getting from you arriving to a session to then coming out with a finished product. It's You're just sort of reacting in the moment to what's going on. And, and that... Do you think that that's a lot of the reason that people particularly like music from that era? Is because of that excitement that happened in the short session. Yes, I think it's just the year. I think it's just the the thing is it was on the, you know uh, on the spot if you know what I mean. Music it was done there and then. I mean you know, you do a take, you do do one two takes. I mean most of the time you have to do four four titles on a session in three hours. 
So now you've got four, you've got what? Uh, plus, of course, you had a, a court on our tea break, which was union, union rules stated you must have a break. Mm-hmm. Or Tuesday, I mean, the pub, but um, uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, you, the, the, the pressure was quite, this is what I found, the pressure was quite intense. You know, it's the fact that I couldn't read either. You know, I had to learn to read at one stage because it got silly because most of the stuff when I started was covering for groups. Mm-hmm. And I did, I did a whole album with the Kinks uh, called Kinks Controversy in three sessions in 12 hours, you know. Wow. And, and not, was it? No, no, it wasn't even that. It was nine hours. It was three three-hour sessions, you know. Uh, and so, you know, that's... But it wasn't the fact is that the guys in the groups couldn't do it or whatever. It was because we were quicker. Yeah. That was the problem. That's, that's why they got guys... The same basic, basic rollers. A lot of the stuff... Uh, there wasn't even a group. I mean, there was a thing called The Bump. I don't know if you remember that. No. By Kenny. Oh. It was a number one called The Bump. It wasn't even a group. We just went and recorded this number and it came out and got to number one. They formed the group. You know? <laughs> there was things like that that went on, you know. Did you enjoy the pressure or did it, you know, was it, did it make you feel anxious or, you know, how did you cope with it? No, I, I, well, I ended up having a heart attack, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, the pressure got to me in the end. I mean, it's, there was an immense pressure. The problem I had, because I wasn't a good reader, you know, I was, go, I was getting thrown into things, you know. I, I did a, a thing with Shirley Bassey at the Talk of the Town, you know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't supposed to be Shirley Bassey. It was supposed to be Dusty Springfield, who I'd worked with. So I knew most of the stuff. I got suddenly thrown in the deep end because Shirley Bassey came in instead, and I've got to play all this bloody big band stuff, you know, like, like Johnny One Note and all that, all this. And I'm going, what the? <laughs> and so, yeah, the pressure did get a bit in the end, you know, I must admit. Yeah. I'm interested about uh, the, the sort of union rules. Um, you uh, Again, I've read in, um, in interviews that you've given in the past about. Um, sessions that had to have a singer present um oh god yeah it was stupid yeah how did that all work what was it you know what were the sort of union rules and at the time well when you're recording you had supposedly have you're supposed to have had the singer in the in the studio singing at the same time now what did you know i tried to explain because i i got it knocked on the head to be honest because i said it's absolutely stupid because I mean, they could get. They used to get someone off the street just to stand in the box and make out their singing, just to satisfy union rules, you know. <laughs> and the, uh, and the thing is, then they get after we'd gone, they get the proper singer in and, and overdub because they, when you're dealing with sixteen and eighteen track and twenty four track machines, mm-hmm. it's easy, isn't it? You know. So you've got, and they, I got knocked on the head, thank God. And the other thing was when we used to do broadcasts. I did a lot of stuff with the with the with the. Uh, with the, uh, the, the not the bachelors, I did some stuff with them. Yeah, with the the uh, the, the boy, but Robin, Robin, what's the name and all that? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure. Gibbs. No. Gibbs. Gibbs. Yeah, the Gibbs. What we call? Oh, oh, yes, yeah. I did a lot of stuff with the uh, with them. The Bee Gees. And we, yeah, that's it. The Bee Gees. I'm afraid it and and we were, you know, we, they called me in and said, look, well, I've got, we're doing a broadcast next week. Uh, do you want to come in? We're going to the studio. And we used to go in the studio and just sit there and have a cup of tea and have a chat. And then they'd, they'd get the tapes out that we'd actually recorded 
you know, uh, for the the, uh, the the records, and they'd send those to the BBC. You know, and then suddenly, oh no, you can't do that. You've got to completely re-record everything, even though you can't get the same sound. You know, when yeah, they spent time getting a good sound on the record. You know, but that got changed, fortunately. The same. Were the rules different for BBC and and sort of union things? Was it all? Oh no, 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 not at all. I mean, I had, I mean, I came across. I nearly caused a strike when I was doing Top of the Pops because I did the Top of the Pops band for twelve years. Yeah, and um, I got in there, and my music light wasn't. By the way, by then I was starting to be out of read a bit, <laughs> and I had the, my music light stand light wasn't working. So because nobody plugged it in, so I plugged it in, and that was it. Oh dear me. Now, they were going to close the studio. They were going to girl, it's, you wouldn't believe the who are. Uh, oh, it was, <laughs> I mean, well, well, that's the reason I ended up playing for, for uh, uh, Gladys Knight and uh, and Stevie Wonder. Wow. Do you have a a, a sort of particular? Uh, either track or session or just a, a memory of that era that stands out more than anything else generally or well, yeah just some, I mean, some, something any anything particular that you think back yeah really when, fondly when did, well, well I'll, I'll give you one fondly and i'll give you one not fondly if you like <laughs> yeah the fondly one uh, was top of the pops and i was doing i did a track where i backed um gladys knight in the pits i mean she was amazing i couldn't believe that when I put the headphones on and his voice, and the, oh, you didn't have to play; it just pulls you along. It was fantastic, you know. Wow, I love that and, expression. Yeah, yeah, she's brilliant. Honestly, I, I became a big fan. In fact, I became a very good friend of the drummer there, who got I don't know if you remember her drummer. He got he got shot about a month later, two months later. Oh wow, um, I didn't know about that. I forget his name now. Great guy. In fact, he borrowed. Uh, he, he was at that session. And uh, and he borrowed my snare drum to do the tour with because he oh, loved wow. the sound of it, you know. What what's name? Do you remember? Uh, I can't think of his name. Um, he was quite a famous, quite a well-known American drummer, but I know he got shot a few a bit later on. Yeah. And all kind. Do you remember? The, uh, do you remember the snare drum that you uh, you lent him? Yeah, it was a uh, yeah, it was a classic four hundred. Oh, lovely. lovely. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a super four hundred, it was a classic four hundred. And it was a great sound. I've done the best um, what's his name? I did what was his name? Yeah. I did the single box, the, the rock and robin thing I did with uh, the he was only thirteen years old, Michael Jackson. <laughs> The Jackson Five, place of Jackson Five, oh, uh... on top of the pops, and this is the uh, the other side where the drummer, because again the union rules stated that they couldn't play because they weren't allowed to because they right. had to, right? So things I had to play, and his drummer was bugging me all day long, getting more. I mean, I think he ended up pulling off the season. He had so much stuff up his nose, and he was getting really thin. Bit thing and I was like, oh, I had to play and I said, look, I've got no choice. I, I'd be quite a bit for you to play and I can go to the pub, I don't care, you know, mm. but I'm not allowed to. Anyway, in the end, fair enough, Michael Jackson came over to him and said, look, get out of the studio and stay out of the studio and sent him out of the studio. 
And in fairness, after we did the gig, Michael Jackson came over and thanked you guys. It was great. You know. That's a yeah. I mean, being around some of those, some of those, you know, so musicians, you've had some un- unbelievable experiences. I, uh, you know, did uh, is it? My, my, um, so I guess most people were just normal, normal people. I mean, we think of them as being super famous, but you must have just been meeting these people fairly regularly, and and they just were sort of, you know, they have a show personality, and then they've got a, a you know. Sort of working, yeah, and, then, like. yeah, but just and, and you know the amazing part of it, the good the good ones, the good players, was always the nicest. Mm. It was always ones that you know nearly made it, or you know, were trying to make it, were were a bit nasty, you know. Yeah. I mean, when I started sessions, because I was a rock and roller, you know, I came in, I came off the rock and roll scene. I mean, there was an M- MD that booked me, uh, Nicky Walsh, a guy called Nicky Walsh, who taught me quite a lot about session work. Yeah, and it. He said to me, I, I was in the studio setting my stuff up and somebody went from the band, I don't know who it was, said, who's that guy in the corner? He said, oh, it's Clem Coutini. He said, well, who is he? He said, he's the drummer. Yeah, but he's no, any. You know, and it was that sort of attitude when I first started yeah. because I wasn't, I didn't come off the jazz scene, I came off the rock and roll scene. You know, yeah. There was this little hooligan sitting in the corner, you know. <laughs> well, I wasn't little then because I was fat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I might regret asking, but you, you said you had a, a slightly not so fond memory. Yeah, well, that was the one, the Michael Jackson one. That was oh. a non, not with the, that was not with Michael Jackson. That was with the guy, the drummer. Uh, yeah, really yeah. And I had a few non-friendly ones on top of the pops, believe me. They, mm-hmm. I don't know why. Every artist we had seemed to hate. Uh, I didn't like. And I mean, when, when ABBA got in the charts, you know, the first thing they did, they put them, they put on top of the pops because they won the Eurovision. Yeah. And, you know, the guy, I don't know who it was, the keyboard player, whoever he is, says to me, are you the drummer? I went, yes. Yeah. Well, can you play this? And I felt like to and she says, nah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, I didn't say that. I wish I had now. Looking <laughs> back, you know. Is there, do you have a track that, that you know, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but a recording that you're, you're most proud of. I mean, it doesn't have to be any obvious one. Have you got anything that you can remember thinking? Yeah. Oh, I, re- I love Hoody- the part I came up with that. Hurdy Gurdy Man. Hurdy Gurdy Man, okay. Yeah, I like that because I don't know what I was doing, but I must have had a drink beforehand because I've never played <laughs> that again. <laughs> love it. What, um... I didn't know about that technique, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> How how did it all um, sort of begin to, to 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 die down? Did you you join the tornadoes and just sort of toured with them, or how did? Oh you know, no, the tornadoes were before that. Yeah, no, okay. this was this. It was in. The, well, I tell you when it started. When uh, my decline, if you like, oh, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Don't want to no, call seriously. it that. <laughs> no, the session scene declined. You know, yeah, it the did. Session scene you did, know, yeah. there was there was guys coming in with good local players and. Uh, they did what I did when I came in. I took somebody else's place, yeah, and they yeah. were taking my place, you know. And the thing it was sort of the 80s and 90s where the, the uh, mechanical music came in, you know, machines, and that started. So that really put the kibosh in it a bit, you know, to be honest. But, uh, and, and to be honest, I was, I was getting to a state that I, I didn't like it anyway. I was getting, you know, it was, I didn't like the way the business was going anyway because it was. We weren't making records, we were making products. Yeah, yeah. You know, I did, I did an whole, a whole album with just bass guitar and myself 
and then they put the guitar in, the drums and the keyboards in, they put the brass in, the voice in afterwards, you know. That's not making music, that's making a product, you know. You know, yeah. you're supposed to be playing for something, aren't you? You know. Yeah, I'd never really thought about it like that. So, you know, every session that you were doing previous to that will have been playing, you know, the backing, making a backing track, essentially. Uh, yeah, with the the basic orders, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think, um, you know, that as a, you know, sort of younger musician now, I can feel there's a, a pull to getting back to that because, you know, as I said before, the, the sort of... I hope so. The special stuff that you guys came out with in that era is, you know, everybody looks to that era as as it's, you know, that's the, almost the pinnacle of, you know, I call it, it's the golden age of recording. It's what this podcast is yeah. about. And, you know, that's, yes. that's got to be part of, you know, one of the major factors in it is that you all played in the room together and you're looking at each yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. You, you feed off it. Well, you know, being a musician, you know, you feed off each other, don't you? You're listening to the bass, you're listening to, and then whatever the guitar player's playing, you, you feed off that. That's how you make music, isn't it? You know, and yeah. You, I was going in the studio. I've got a click track for start off, which is a nightmare to play with anyway. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but I mean, fortunately, I had reasonably good times. I I used to manage to keep in. Yeah, sometimes I found the click track didn't play with me, but apart from that, you know. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> you know that feeling. And um, the thing was, it's uh, that's not making music. You know, I mean, you make music with, with other guys. You know, you listen to each other and play together, don't you? And yeah. play off each other, you know, you feed off each other. That's why, I, you know, I started to get fed up with them at the I started, I did a bit of a period of, uh, of, of sort of programming drum machines because John Paul Jones used to do a lot of it, a lot of arrangement and he used to send me the parts and the, and the drum machine. I used to program it for him and send it back in a cab, you know. Oh, interesting. But I didn't like it, I've got to be honest, you know. No. What um so the sort of question I always ask is you know you you it feels you know I I think you 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 agree that you kind of happened upon this that this career but um what you know if you were to give some advice based on your experiences to you know whether it's advice to somebody coming up now or whether it's just general sort of life advice to to you know if you could go back now and give yourself some advice or any sort of over overriding piece of advice that you would take from your experiences? Um, what, what would you say? Yeah, first of all, ignore the MD. Don't, don't <laughs> fool <laughs> No. <laughs> but no, no, just, you know, the whole is listen to the song. Listen to what the song wants and play for that song. And also, you know, and the main thing we're there for is to play, play time. And playing time, you know, and also my two grandsons were they got grade one in drums, but they weren't taught to use a metronome. You know, you've got to get to get yourself yeah, not because it's to, it's in you play differently when you're listening to a metronome. And you know, I mean, I, I, I've, I've experimented with a guy, I said, Yeah, I'll play Mr. Triplets, and he played it. I said, Now play it with a metronome, and he hadn't got a clue. I said, Well, that's one. Because it makes you relax and sit back on everything. And I think, you know, it's just playing the song that's the biggest advice I can get. And listen, usually is that's what they're here for. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so I've been told anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um just just finally, talk to me about your um your book and how that sort of came about. Um, because I think a lot of people listening to this will be interested to read it. Uh well I I've been badgered for ages to do one. 
and I didn't want to do one. I said, what's the point? You know, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people about far better than me and far better players and, and more experienced players than me that haven't got one out. Why should I put one out? I mean, it's probably like Brian Bennett hasn't even got one out, which is, I can't believe. Anyway, so I, uh, but then somebody said to me, which made the point was, if you're not doing it for yourself, do it for your, your, your grandchildren. You know, because it's true, my grandchildren hadn't got a clue what I was doing until, uh, you know, until I knew my nieces. They didn't know what I was doing until they read the book and they didn't realise what was going on while, you know, whilst I was working, what was going on in the world at that time. So it was like a little bit of a sort of history book, if you know what I mean. Yes, yeah. I think um, I think it's really important. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh especially now there seems to be a bit of a hark back to, to that era and a lot of people are yeah. in what you were doing. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you've written it. <laughs> no, I am now. I mean, I'll never get, I'm, less, so I'm not going to be a millionaire on it, that's for sure. But the thing is, no, I'm glad I did it. Because, you know, for, for my grandchildren's sake, they know, now they know what I did. My niece now knows what I was doing and what I, you know, I remember my kids once saying, what do you do for a living? What do you, how do you, what do you, how do you explain to a kid? All I said was, I go around hitting things, you know. <laughs> That's the only way I could explain it, you know. But, and I think as well, we, we're losing a sense of our history, aren't we? Generally, not only musically. And musical history is going by the board, you know. Um, yeah. And I yeah. think it's sad, really. I, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I hope that, you know, these, the conversations that I'm having with people like yourself is we're going to help that and then, um, you know, help sort of, uh, yeah, yeah. Keep, you know, it's, it's a, it's a way of documenting, um, you know, what's been, what's been happened, you know, what's happened. I mean, I know that there's a lot of, a lot of, a uh, sort of debate on, on a lot of the sessions that happened through the sixties. And there's a lot of history that's already been lost because it wasn't documented Absolutely. at the time. And yeah. It's hard to remember. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there's tracks that you, that, that you're on that you probably don't even realise that you're oh. on. Oh, absolutely. I'm still getting people saying, oh, by the way, you played on my record. And I said, didn't know. I don't even remember. <laughs> you, know, and, you know, and the thing is, there's the difference between here and the States. It's what's name's drummer, um, the boss's drummer. Um, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Max Weinberg. Oh, yeah. Max Weinberg, who became sort of a friend of mine. He knows more about English musicians than we do. He knew the history of all the drivers. Seriously, I couldn't believe it. And he was saying, you did this, you did that. And so-so played on that. And the only thing that he didn't, he wasn't happy about, I told him that, that Dave Clark never played in his records, which he, he didn't, wasn't too pleased about. Because no. Dave Clark was massive in America. Yeah. Massive. And they, but <laughs> when I said, well, now he didn't play on his records, and I, I don't think he was too enamoured, but they, they know more, you know, their history thing is more important than ours is, if you know what I mean. They yeah. take it more seriously, I should say, than we do. He knew everything about musicians, English musicians. It was incredible, it was, you know. And it's, yeah, it's, um, it, it, you know, I, I think, uh, I think I think it's important to, to, to document it all. I'm interested in all that, you know, I've written down the names of all the people that, yeah. that you've mentioned. And I, I think it's really important to know about who was there and, and, and sort of a, even just to acknowledge the fact that, that, you know, you guys did some amazing stuff um, and it needs to, people need to know about it. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, you know, when we look at my era, we look, we look back at the jazz eras, the, 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 you know, the Ronnie Verrills, the Kenny Clares and the people like that, you know, yeah. 
and uh, and Buddy Rich and all that lot. We look at them, you know, that's how, you know, but you, you, I mean, to be honest, somebody says, who are you with? And I say the tornadoes, they go, who? Mm. What did they do? You know, they've got a clue. Not that I, well, why should they? But I think <laughs> they should, not for me, but I think they should do, because, you know, that's a part of history. It was the first band to get number one in America, you know, and it's never, and it's never played on, you know, it's never been sort of mentioned to, to that degree. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's huge, isn't it? And, you know, that's, yeah. um, you know, everybody, everybody thinks about the, the Beatles break in America, but that's, you know, that's exactly. Not, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't come into it, you know, I mean, it's the same as, here, as, as a, uh, Abbey Road or EMI, as I still call it, you know, the, the fact is that all the stuff that was coming out of number two studio, way before the Beatles, you know, it's a sad lot of people just think the Beatles started. And the thing that makes me laugh is that the Zebra Cross, that they all cross on thing and have photographs done, is not the original anyway. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> they moved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there was, there you know, was a, ho a whole wealth of history there before before they even started yes, recording. Yes, exactly. I, I mean, I've crossed it many a time. Yeah. <laughs> the old one. <laughs> did you you worked with Paul McCartney at one point? Did you? Yes, I did an album with him. Yes, uh, it was called. Um, uh, it was a it was a, an instrumental version of, of one of his of one of the out there albums. Okay. Uh, so, well, I knew Paul. I knew Paul and that lot before they were the Beatles. Oh, I okay. knew them. I knew them when they were the Silver Beatles because when I was with Billy Fury. And the one who used to play Liverpool, which you know, where Billy came from, they used to come around and say, Can you take me in to meet Billy? You know, because they were big fans of Billy's. So, you know, okay. and in actual, in actual fact, I, I was asked to join Wings at one stage. Oh, cool. And then, did that just yeah. not come about? And no, the, the offer wasn't very good. So, you know, I was earning more money sitting at home. So. <laughs> Seriously, um, yeah. I, I mean, I've heard, I, I've heard amazing things about the way that Paul treats musicians in in the studio musically. I'm talking about, and um, yeah. you know, yeah. was he? I think a lot of people would be interested in to know about how how his sessions were. Well, it, it was fine. We did, you know, it's um, Percy Thrillington is the name of the album the, that I did with for Paul. Yeah, Percy, Paul, Percy Thrillington. Yeah, and I mean, it's like it's all different things, and it's a uh, it was fine. I mean, I, because he had a, a guy there who was MDing for him, you know, who was really in charge rather than Paul. So mm -hmm. he managed to keep it all together, you know, and sort of Paul didn't interfere. He let him get on with it. But it was, yeah, it was good. I mean, he, he, did, it, he did it for a laugh, evidently, originally. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I don't think he ever, ever intended to release it, but it got, got released eventually. But uh, no, he was fine. I mean, the... When I uh, first time I, I was my first time I, I worked for uh, George Martin, you know I was getting it was get, and it was uh, night time right time at Paul Jones when just after he'd left Manfred Mann. Yes. And it was the, it was the hit the other. I can't even remember the title. What was it called? I can't remember. Anyway, and uh, and also he said, "Oh, he said, drummer, I like that what you're doing, drummer. That's good what you did there." And then you know, I said, "Excuse me, Mister," but I said, "No, no." The drummer does have a name, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But that's that's to be honest. With another thing with musicians, they're not getting respect, 
you know, I mean, I was telling, uh, a mate of mine was telling me in America, you know, they were doing a, a big session at one of the studios there. And, and because it was a big orchestra thing, they moved all the staff cars out of the car park so the musicians could park. Yeah. Here, like, yeah. you go, you used to go to EMI to park. There's no car park here. And you couldn't park anywhere. You know, the usual. I'm sure you must come across that one a few times. You know? Yeah, well, I don't know how, how much has changed. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, especially in my they were dreadful there. Oh, no, you can't park here. It's because you've got the executive upstairs parking there or the sound man's parked there. But never about musicians. You know, you've got a lug of drum kit. didn't matter, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it seems a shame. I still think of, uh, you know, I still think that... Um, people view musicians i know that it seems like a you know quite a, a cool job to have if you like but it's this definitely seen as a a sort of second rate job not a proper job is a you know you like, know I, I i always think musicians are like like you know knives and forks you know if you go into a restaurant they can make money out of the food but they have to have knives and forks but they don't make money out of them you know what i mean you can sell Absolutely. you can get a loaf of bread and sell it for twice what you paid for it but in knives and forks, you can't do anything. You, you have to have them, and you have to have what they're paid. You've paid for them, you know, whether, whether you like it or not. That's why I, I feel that musicians we like knives and forks. Yeah. It's true, though, isn't it? When you it think about it. absolutely is, yeah. yeah like I mean, really. they do make money out of you eventually, but, you know, there's something they, they would rather do without. That's what I found as well. Funny enough, getting towards the 80s and 90s, that producers and, and, and whatever, they didn't want to use musicians anymore, you know, and a lot of people are doing it themselves anyway, but I think, you know, musicians were just a pain, you know, we had to pay these guys to come and do something, which we think we can do better, you know. Yeah. So yeah. it's a sad thing, really. It is. It's, it's very interesting. And, and I hope that, um, you know, with, I actually, I actually think that with, you know, I do a lot of re uh, remote sessions, which I know is not ideal, but I think that, um, with the sort of ease of, of home recording now, I think that people are starting to use good musicians again because they're accessible. You know, you can get in touch with some pretty great players these days. And, oh, God, and oh, oh, God, yeah. I mean, be fair. fair. I mean, there's, there's some fantastic players now. I mean, I'm glad I'm out of it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, there's so many good players around now. It's unbelievable. Technique-wise, you know. I mean, the technique of drumming has improved. I mean, since I've been I've been doing it from, from the end of the 50s, it's, improvement of, of people's technique and ideas is, is, is 200 fold you know to be honest yeah, yeah. You know? and i'm not i'm just, i'm not saying it's a bad thing it's a good thing the only thing that i will say that one thing you can't teach is feel agreed yeah i love that yes you know that's the only thing i mean uh you know i i, I work with a girl drum i was doing some sort of teaching stuff i don't teach now because i couldn't cope with it i couldn't anyway there's another story <laughs> and uh she had no, that double bass on the lot. The most amazing day. I, I felt embarrassed sitting there going, I'm trying to teach these girls if they teach me. But was, I said, at the end of the week, they used to do a concert for their family. Mm -hmm. And I said, do tequila. You remember the number ticket? Da, 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 that one. Yeah. I said, do, do, do well, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, do tequila. And the middle bit where it goes into swing, she couldn't play for the same. I spent a whole week trying to teach her just to play four to the bar. Wow. You know, there's so much, but the technique going around the kit, double bass time, unbelievable. So that's the only thing I, 
but you know, as I said, you can't teach feel, can you? You know, whether no. you like, you know. No, you can make four to the bar swing, even without the skip notes, you can. <laughs> just the crotch hits. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. You can do it on just forwards, you know. Yeah. Um, fantastic. I, I mean, thank you so much for speaking with me. I, I no, love sorry, it's a pleasure. Stories. I hope a lot, a lot of it wasn't a lot of rubbish, but there you go. Not at all. It's been it's been <laughs> fascinating. You know, I'd I'd love to go through every artist you've worked with and just pick your brains about every session. But they say it would take. Well, you we can do that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I've got some good good stories and bad stories. Believe me. <laughs> oh well, maybe maybe we'll have to do another one and we can uh, we can yeah. go, go into a bit more detail. But yeah, really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for giving me your time. All right, mate. You're welcome, Joe. No problem. Cheers, Thanks for getting in touch right. anyway. Yeah, I will. I'll send you an email when it comes out. Yeah, lovely. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great day. Thank you, Andrew. And thanks for asking. Cheers. Thanks, Claire. Speak to you Cheers. later. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a chap. I can't believe how nice he is. I'll tell you what, that's something that uh, I, I tell people a lot um, when they ask me about so there's the people that I speak to or especially younger people who ask me about music industry and that sort of thing is the higher up the chain you get, the nicer everybody seems to be. Um, I'm sure that's not that's not always the case, but most people who are at a high level in this industry are just completely lovely. And Clem is a very, very, very good example of that. OK, so got another uh, drum sort of heavy episode next week it's with a producer so it's not all about drums and it, he owns a fantastic studio uh, and he also lives in Canada so I'm not going to tell you who he is um, but it's a it's a very cool episode and it was a very exciting episode for me um, I'd also like to know if you're listening to this before the new year who would you like me to speak to uh, in 2022 I've had lots of requests for guests this year and I've managed to get quite a lot of them on uh, and I'm always trying to find people that I'm interested in uh, who either have, you know, the correct, not correct, <laughs> who have a similar attitude to a recording um, that we all have, and also uh, people who were sort of involved in that that era of recording. Um, and I've got a bit of a wish list still, but I do really enjoy getting your requests in for people if you know somebody who is interested in it, or if there's a studio owner who's operating currently, or if somebody who you think would just be a good conversation to have that's related to all of this kind of stuff then please do give me an email on joe at all you need is drums.com you can also find me on instagram at all you need is drums and my website is all you need is drums.com uh, there on there you'll find a shop and you can uh, support this podcast by buying a mug uh, you could also it's a lovely enamel mug by the way there's plenty of pictures of them on uh, my instagram page uh, there's also an album up there of the two track sessions I do with my band, The Hootenanny. Um, and that's that. So, uh, yes, unless you've run out of Christmas money, in which case don't don't buy anything from the website um, because, yeah, there's just don't. I don't know where I was going with that. Anyway, right. I hope you've all had a wonderful Christmas and I will speak to you next Tuesday with the next episode. Um, so that just leaves me to say a huge thank you to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music, for Adam Mallet uh, for the artwork that he supplied for the podcast, and to Rory Hancock for doing all of the legwork when it comes to uploading and creating the artwork and all of the uh, all of that kind of stuff. So thanks, Rory, and I will speak to you all next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.